recording, so. All right, well, hang on. Let me, let me scoot up in here. Let me get, let me get up in the meat. It's the opposite of meat. Mm. It's, well, it's not the opposite of meat. What is the opposite of meat, Liam? Is this our intro? Are it we in the now. middle of the intro? What What's is, the opposite of meat? What is the opposite of meat? I weirdly, I want, and this is really upsetting, but I want to say bone. No, because sometimes bone is in meat. If it's an opposite, like, do opposites, are opposites usually found inside of each other? I I mean, it depends. I don't know. I mean, I here I don't think it's bone. Well, I'm I'm thinking more of like a texture, like composition. Like meat's very squishy and really doesn't have any form. But like a bone's That's not true. A meat bone's has lots of form. Yeah, like it's it's malleable and it's squished around you our bone. Cook it and make it uh, stiff and sturdy. Do I not know what meat is? Meat like is meat's the stuff that you like. Spread on a sandwich, right? The stuff you spread on a sandwich? Yeah, you know, you get it. You just slap down a nice spread of meat. No, meat is not. Well, you really chomp spreadable. on some bones. The opposite of meat, they go great together. It's like it's oh, like boy. white wine and a pasta. I mean, that's correct. White wine and pasta go well together in a lot of different situations, but meat meat is not a spread, usually, unless you. See, Uh-oh. that's the police coming oh, no. to arrest you for your opinions on meat. The LAPD is going to come get me, Liam. The LAMD, the Los Angeles Meat Department. <laughs> wow, that was like the most high concept intro we've ever done. Welcome to Media Majors, a storytelling podcast about meat. major media and meat and meat and crunchy, crunchy bones. Oh, okay, okay. okay. Mm. I thought you were going to say crunchy meat. No, chomp, so. chomp. Uh, my name is Tom Lockney. I'm Scoots McNeary, character actor. Okay, Scoots, uh, what do you do on this podcast? Uh, I... What do we do? <laughs> research true stories from our perspective media. I wanted to say a fake name, and then I realized that I said the name <laughs> of a character actor. I'm Liam Sr. I tell stories about showbiz Nass. And I'm Tom Lockney, and I tell stories about the culture of video games and the internet. And every week, we center them around a theme and tell them to each other. And this week, the theme was memorials. Mm -hmm. Liam, I believe you're starting us off. This is about cars. (laughs) The movie? weird. No. Aw, damn. A different movie with cars in it. Oh, the cars in cars are the opposite of meat. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, it makes sense. There, there you go. They're weird. They're so weird. They're very weird, and they somehow reproduce. Of them? No, there can't be. That's not the world I want to live in. I would refuse to believe. In 1998, director Rob Cohen read a Vibe piece. That's a magazine entitled "Racer X" about New York City's illegal street racing scene. This article became the inspiration behind his 2001 film, "The Fast and the Furious." where an undercover cop played by Paul Walker goes undercover with a team of street racers turned criminals uh, that are going around in these cool cars and doing a bunch of cool car crimes, and they're led by Vin Diesel. Paul Walker falls for Vin Diesel's sister. (laughs) But really, he falls for Vin Diesel. (laughs) Yeah, played by Jordana Brewster. 
one thing leads to another, and Vin and Paul become best friends, and then Paul is now a fugitive on the run from the law. God, he started so the movie good. He's as a cop. He's the FBI, and then he just becomes a criminal. What's really crazy is that this kind of eh movie spawned the sixth highest grossing film franchise of all time. The film's immediate sequel is another crime and gang story set in cars, with the third being a complete departure set in Tokyo, apparently in, like, the near future at the time. Yeah. Uh, having none of the OG cast except an ending cameo by Vin and being set in Tokyo. Even the fourth film, a soft reboot of sorts, couldn't fully land with audience this. It wasn't until... <laughs> really was just singular, slurring our way through the podcast. Audiences. Then Fast Five happened, and Justin Lin, the director, realized what was missing from these movies. Radical car stunts and fantastical set pieces. Uh, and the movie's themes centering on family and togetherness. Yeah. Front and center. I fucking, I fucking love the Fast and Furious movies. Of course I they're fucking great. love them. It was a huge success, and the whole franchise has made so much fucking money, over $5 billion. And a ninth movie is set for 2020, and a spinoff about The Rock and Jason Statham's characters is set to come out a year before. Uh, and, and then the story takes a sad, sad yeah, turn. Yeah, yeah. On November 30th, 2013, at about 3.30 p.m., uh, Paul Walker and Roger Rodas left an event for Walker's charity... Oh, sorry, left for an event uh, put on by Walker's charity, Reach Out Worldwide, uh, for victims of Typhoon Yolanda, uh, with Rodas drawing a Porsche Carrera GT. The car crashed into a concrete lamppost, and two trees caught fire. Rodas died of multiple trauma, while Walker died from a combined effects of trauma and burns. The weird part of all this is the curve that they were killed on is, uh, was, and I assume is a popular spot for drifting car races, mm -hmm. but that's not what happened here. Yeah. Uh, it was just, you know, It was just a car crash. It was just yeah. a really unfortunate not... car crash. So Universal halted production on Furious 7. They wanted to talk to the family about what to do. Uh, his his father actually actually filed a wrongful death claim against the other family. Ooh. Yeah, so it was very, very bad for yeah, everyone. I'm sure it was a very hard time. Mm -hmm. uh, the daughter sued Porsche for faulty design. and I. Uh... Yeah, do we know? I Because uh, I don't actually know like the specifics of what caused the accident. Was it like, was there a fault in the engine? Or was it like literally just an accident? Like maybe he wasn't paying attention or, or uh, something the, like that? The speed and the age of the tires were determined to be the primary reason for oh, the crash. Oh, okay. That makes sense. That's, uh, uh... Porsche tried to blame it on him, uh, which is a really good look for, <laughs> for a company to do. And then a judge ruled in favor of Porsche, so... Oh, boy. Cool. And the film itself paid a tribute to Walker. The last scene has him and Vin Diesel racing off into the sunset, hitting a fork in the road, and Paul Walker taking one of those paths by himself. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, like, it's corny as fuck, but I think it's, like, really touching, you yeah, know? Yeah, but, like, it's also... These are bonkers action car heist movies, and they can pull off mo moments like that that yeah. are very sad and touching. But that's not the only memorial for Paul Walker. So after his death, a group of muscle cars took to his crash site for a memorial. That same weekend, coincidentally in Tennessee, a man named Joe Smith 
started his first Paul Walker Memorial, which featured about 25 muscle cars. Oh, that's dope. The next year, cities all over the globe began having Paul Walker Memorials, where people would show up in tricked out muscle cars <sighs> and just kind of show them off in honor of actor Paul Walker. That's pretty fucking awesome. Uh, it's not really about business. For the past five years, we've held these meets without any money involved, says Joe Smith, who's been running his Paul Walker Memorial in Tennessee still. Uh, we'd like to charge a donation fee and try to raise money for one of his charities, but we feel if we put a price on it, it might take away from the most important thing. And that's that. Like it or not, his death brought us closer together and made us flourish. Every time someone thinking about joining the car scene either watches those movies or watches a tribute video for Paul Walker, another enthusiast is born. That's the important thing. Uh, Paul Walker, I just want to remind everybody, is an actor. He's not a driver or a street racer. He's just an actor. He He's once a... did a movie with Brendan Fraser. Oh, what was it called? Uh, no one knows. It's lost this the oh, time. Wow. Not I'm even sure Brendan. If... No, Brendan forgets. Brendan won't, Brendan won't tell anybody. Uh, so Joe Smith continues to justify his uh, car shows. Oh, this seems like a fine thing for people to do. Oh, yeah. yeah. It might not have been his profession, but he was a licensed... Sorry. It might not have been his profession, but he was as licensed as a professional driver, and he collected race cars throughout his life. He would travel all over the world, helping as many people as he could, but he also uh, traveled the world in pursuit of the next fastest car to add to his collection. Uh, The man who died in the car next to him was a professional race car driver, and he'd race cars with Paul Walker often. I'd feel like a crappy enthusiast if I didn't show my sincerest feelings for both of them. Oh, wait, so so he was like a driver. I mean, so says Joe Smith. An enthusiast who didn't know him, but maybe. Hmm. Uh, anyways, the uh, festivals are still going on all over the world around the weekend of his death, and they do YouTube cuts that are set to instrumental hip-hop music that just show off the cars. Yeah, that's fun. That's I just cool. thought those were strange. So. It is, it, that's it's, a it's really just, interesting... It's like he's become a, like a meme in a way where, where he his death is sort of like transcended just who he was as a person because of that media property that he was in. I think that's fun and that's cool. It is weird though. Cause it he just seems the... like he was only mildly interested in street racing and muscle cars, but Nope. I, I wonder, are they giving a memorial to Paul Walker? Or are they giving a memorial to Brian from the fast and the furious franchise? Hmm. I'm sure Paul Walker would have dug it. Oh yeah. He totally would have yeah. dug it. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to hear about another story. We're going to hear about another story, but not tell it to you. Uh, Sorry, that's how the podcast works Get fucked, everybody. Teaser trailers. Hey, Eric McAdams, it's me, Liam Sr. I am so hungover and feel very sick. Do you have anything you can give me? How about a weekly news roundup podcast where I tell you all the horrible news stories from the day, from politics to entertainment to anything else, maybe even some nice, fun, good stories. Who knows? I guess I'll just listen to the Sunday Morning Hangover Cure every Sunday on the Major Cast Network or wherever you get podcasts. That sounds like a good idea. Maybe, maybe listen to it and then take a nap. I'm dying. We're back. We are. We sure are. On February 5th, 2009, Demon's Souls is released. For those who are unaware, Demon's Souls is a video game by From Software, best known for their Dark Souls series. Demon's Souls is, uh, Dark Souls is the spiritual successor to Demon's Souls, which is itself like a spiritual successor to Kingsfield, one of their earlier franchises. 
The player Which is a knight. Which it, itself, a lot of people don't know this, is a spiritual sequel to the Beethoven movies. Which, Sorry, Mad Dog. Yeah, which is a uh, spiritual sequel to Watership Down. Yeah. Which, of course, everyone knows is just an a allegory for the Bible. Yeah. The greatest story ever told. Yeah, yeah. Which is, in and of itself, uh, an homage to... Gilgamesh's... Gilgamesh 2. Gilgamesh 2, sucking them toes. Yeah, it's an erotica. <laughs> a lot of people don't know that the Bible is loosely based off of Greek erotica. The player is a knight invading a land overrun by demons. The game is about slow, deliberate medieval combat, feeling sad, and the folly of man. <laughs> I love games that are about feeling sad. Thanks, From Software. Yeah, it's also about dying a bunch, because this game's Wait, difficult. Wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. Are you telling me a game from From Software has you die a bunch in it? Yes, this is true, yeah. I don't believe you. Yes. I've never died in Bloodborne. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. It's, so you've, you've had a... Where, where are you at in Bubba right oh, now? Oh, I'm still like, on the first level. Yeah, uh, the how, long first... You, uh, how long have you played that game for? Oh, I gave up on it <laughs> after I died a billion times. And therein lies a problem. Anyways, you can play a lot of the game alone and single player, but there is an online element, and uh, one that was very unique for the time now that there's uh, Souls is kind of a genre unto itself. It's a little less unique, but the, the way that online multiplayer manifests is uh, asynchronous at points, sometimes cooperative. Asynchronous being the, where, like, there are blood stains on the ground, and if you touch them, you'll see where somebody else died. Or, like, you can leave messages for people, so that way you're, you're helping each other through this kind of difficult experience. You're enduring it. You are, you are coming together. It is, a very, it is a very integral part not only of the gameplay but of like the themes present in these games but mostly it's just requests for for food <laughs> brandon tell mom to get more pizza rolls mcdonald's 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 there's also summons which is like when a player character will Sees actually another just, player and yeah. has to get him to court and subpoena um god what a silly word it's the silliest word and they, i don't know why they don't change it <laughs> But unfortunately, on the 28th of February of this year, 2018, the servers were shut down despite the protests and pleas of critics, players, and developers. On that day, players gathered in droves to occupy the land of Boletaria one last time until the connections were severed and they were left alone, stranded in their worlds and in their homes. Weird. That's the story of the Demon Souls server shutdown, though it's not a unique one. There are countless others like it in varying forms. Here's a list of games whose online service EA shut down in 2012. Battlefield 3 Aftershock, Fantasy Safari, Ghost Harvest. <laughs> Ooh, this one's right. What's Fantasy Safari? I don't know. Uh, you go you go through it. Oh, look at that. Oh, look at that. A dragon giraffe. A dragon <laughs> A giraffe again. Check out this wisp hippo. <laughs> Look at this troll duck. <laughs> Fee fi fo quack. I'm gonna bite your fingers. What do you think a troll is? They don't go fee fi fo. Oh yeah, giants. they live under bridges. Yeah, they yeah, live yeah. under pineapples in the sea. Boom blocks bash party. Burnout revenge. <laughs> what are you talking about? EA Create, EA Sports Active 2.0, EA Sports Active NFL Training Camp, FIFA 10, Godfather 2, EA Sports <laughs> MMA, Need for Speed Per Street, The Saboteur, and Spare Parts. 
Spare pu sparrows. Uh, this is a phenomenon that affects all platforms across the industry, but that's sort of indicative of why this is a modern conversation. Though server shutdowns have always been a part of the culture since the inception of online play, the conversation around preserving those experiences has grown in relevance thanks to the ubiquity of online console multiplayer that grew to prevalence in the mid to late aughts. Back in the day, the notion of server shutdown was strictly related to relegated to PC since that was the only platform with online multiplayer at the time. Now we take things like Xbox Live, the PlayStation Network, and Nintendo Switch Online mostly for granted, but these features are a fairly recent phenomenon, especially in the case of Nintendo, who's really only just started to get their act together in terms of online play. Uh, in, a, in a 2013 study, a State of the Industry report by Spill Games found that 1.2 of the 1.2 billion people playing games worldwide, only around 700 million or 44% of the world's online population play online. I can first remember becoming aware of the conversation around server shutdowns in around 2010 to 11, although I'm sure it had taken root in the zeitgeist earlier. This is also a conversation of increasing relevance due to the push from major console manufacturers to move towards an always online model, uh, perhaps like the most uh, prominent recent example of that would be Microsoft's backfired attempt to make the Xbox One always online. Uh, I know that <laughs> I know that the entire developed some fucking weird opinions after a while. Yeah, I I know, and I know that it the entire stop stop listening to both Baked Alaska's early SoundCloud raps <laughs> and Chapo yeah. Trap House clips on YouTube. <laughs> so it just was really fucking confused. Yeah. Additionally, there are services like EA's Origin or Ubisoft's UPlay that require you to be logged in in order to have access to certain content. Uh, fortunately, there is at least some measure of recourse. In 2015, the Library of Congress ruled that single-player games with content that requires a server connection are legally exempt from the Digital Millennium Copyright Act, DMCA. However, that those same rules do not apply to multiplayer. Currently, steps are being taken by preservationists and game historians such as the Museum of Art and Digital Entertainment to include multiplayer in this exemption, uh, but they've come up against a formidable opponent, the people who make money off of video games. Specifically, the ESA, everybody's favorite capitalist supergroup. They yeah, argue. Mine's Halliburton. Uh, the ESA is the Entertainment Software Association. It is. I've I've talked about them on the podcast before. Uh, I think actually a little uncritically. Specifically, in terms of Brown uh, versus the ESA, the big Supreme Court case about uh, whether or not the government was essentially going to like regulate content in the games industry through like rating systems. Members of the ESA are like Microsoft, Sony, Activision, just like the the EA, like the big the big publishers, the big publishers, console manufacturers, etc. Do they lobby? Uh, yes, I believe so. They they are a trade association. They argue that granting users access to the game's code, thereby allowing them to make the necessary tweaks and changes to reopen server functionality, would facilitate piracy. So, so basically, what they are saying is like, once you have uh, purchased this experience, uh, actually, you don't own that experience. Uh, Which the, is weird because you purchased it, but yeah. And there's, and I think that there is kind of like a broader discussion to be had about like the ease of access of, of stuff like this. Like, I think it is something that could and should be regulated because then otherwise, like, for, for ongoing... Or, or like, like, PUBG is a good example. Mm -hmm. Like, that, that game is going to keep going for a very long time. Um, but if, if it is very easy for people to learn how to, like, get up in the code of a thing and, and just, like, hack up, make a pirate network, basically... Then, then do they say arg Tom? Then uh, uh, player unknown 
would be having their labor stolen because they are continuing to work on that game. They're continuing to support it, and they should they should be the ones who get paid for their labor. Don't uh, hire however, them. However, however, in other cases, uh, and by the way, that never happens when there is no labor being put into that game at that point. There's no continued support, and therefore nobody's labor is being stolen. It's just uh, enthusiast players maintaining an experience. Uh, the ESA presents a belief that the literal preservation of societies like MADE will not be using this exception for preservation. Quote, it is unlikely that anyone, including proponents, would invest thousands of hours of labor over a period of years merely because a scholar someday may wish to study the game. To the contrary, it is likely that the institutions and volunteers involved want to enable recreational gameplay. That's one, uh, ludicrous, and two, uh, like, I think is kind of uh, unjustly smearing uh, uh, institutions like MADE being like, oh, you guys don't actually care about preservation. You guys, you guys just want to, like, jerk off and play video games, the video games that we made. Why aren't you paying us money? We're the ESA. We're the ESA. We're fun. Yeah, uh, by the way, while they are impeding preservationists who are pushing to uh, get... DMCA exception granted to multiplayer. Uh, the Souls community's already begun taking steps uh, to set up what are illegal, but good, servers to sustain the game post-shutdown. Uh, yeah, yeah. Some people will call this hippy-dippy bullshit, but uh, <laughs> games are more than a product. They are art, they are an experience, and they should be uh, preserved. It's it's not just about, like, oh, man, like, I won't be able to, you know, uh, play Call of Duty online anymore or something like that. It is, like, this is this is a particular experience that people get to have and the the passionate few who remain the passionate player base that remains at the end should be allowed to if if they so choose create and maintain their own servers if no if no yeah. continued labor is being put into the game this is ridiculous the esa uh is telling this that that kind of like anti-piracy line that's actually not really about piracy it is just about them going it's like cons about conservation yeah they they are they're just mad because like hypothetically they will be losing some of the ridiculous amount of profit that they make are you gonna sue the library of Cong congress for pirating because they keep a collection of like movies that are they <laughs> right? deem important uh, the Come hearings on. the hearings for this DMCA exception are happening uh, May 19th uh, to the 21st of this year and hopefully it goes well I mean like hey like we'll preservationist preservationist got single player and and like that's the other thing too is it's ridiculous that single player content that's that's restricted behind an online wall is it, that the ESA fought that either. Like, that's that's just ridiculous and is, is pretty strong evidence that, like, they don't actually Get care about... Yeah, yeah, they don't actually care about this anti-piracy thing. They're just mad that, like, people can experience the thing that they made for free after they're done supporting it. Ugh, gross. And pro actually, probably not even for free because people are no. uh, paying money to... Set up services. I, so. I, yeah, I imagine that these are not free pirating services yeah. that are happening. Actually, there is one. There is one. Uh, uh, my story is done, by the way. But there is actually one other uh, kind of interesting thing that I, I just realized. Well, too about. bad your story's done. There's oh, nothing. Fuck. Yeah, you should have zero on fault. Oh damn it! I just. Well, all right, we'll open it just this one time. All right. <laughs> oh no! We gotta get some WD forty. Thing is rusty <laughs> as shit. So one of the stories that I came across was uh, servers built to sustain vanilla wow and i think that that's an interesting conversation to have is like w when 
Vanilla WoW. Like, vanilla WoW, like I, the I vanilla first version of WoW. That gotcha. I mean, like, the game is completely unrecognizable now. And so there is a conversation to be had there of, like, what if, what if people want to play earlier versions of a game that continues to be supported? Like, at what point does an original product uh, become distant enough from its current iteration that it justifies having service because in the case of like vanilla wow i think like no question people should be allowed to set up their own service for that because i mean like that game's been out for like over a decade now it's been like 15 years i want to say feels like like forever 13 or 15 so yeah i thought it was an interesting thing to talk about well you were right so sometimes we talk about bummer stuff on the show, like death. <laughs> and we like to balance that out at the end with a segment that we call the self-care corner. And it's a it's a segment where we just talk about a nice thing that happened in our days, our weeks, or our lives. Liam? Rhoda got her cone off and <sighs> the haircut. She looks great. Uh, she looks great. She's so, she was so happy to get that dang-ass cone off. That ding-dong cone off. Uh, my self-care corner is that I'm going to go hang out with my friends and I'm gonna make some pasta uh, 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 and drink a little bit of wine and it's gonna be nice and we're gonna get to have a a chill evening. Uh, Do you wanna support the show? Do that. Yeah, follow us on Twitter, at Media Majors Cast. If you want updates for the other shows on the network, you can like the Major Casts Network on Facebook. Uh, Also go listen to those shows, they're very good. Email us at mediamagerspodcast at gmail.com. You know what? I'm going to do a thing. So we ask if, if, if listeners have any self-care corners to send them in, but I think that's too broad because then sure. we'll get like four paragraphs of writing or something from somebody if, if they do or, 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 you know. I hate, You're I hate, overreaching, but sure. Yeah, yeah. I hate being given an essay without a prompt, you know? Okay. So how about this? Sonic send feet. it. Send us a thing about Sonic Speed. If you have a self-care corner, send it in. Keep it under 50 words. Give it, Make it nice and light, just like real quick, and we'll read it on the air. First names only. Oh, yeah, and leave us a rating and review on iTunes if you like the show. We like you. Do you like us? Prove it. Send us kisses by means of review. Via rating. Yeah, via rating. Val, yeah, yeah. That's what five stars, five stars. Wow, that's a pretty rating. wet kiss. Ew. <laughs> Little bit of tongue. Um, what the hell? <laughs> yeah, five stars. Oh man, yeah, that's what five stars means in my mind. I, I, I am <laughs> no, thoroughly no, no. horrified. Just give us five. Just give us five stars. Anybody. I promise. I promise. I won't be weird about it. Um, <laughs> I promise he will be weird about it. Yeah. To me, off air. Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna just make that noise in front of you all the time. Maybe just like spit near you. Don't. <laughs> This is cyberbullying, and it's recording, so there's proof. I'm going to take it to the cyber police. Thanks for listening, everybody. Catch us next week. We'll be there for you. Thanks for listening to the Major Casts Network. Stay fun, stay nasty, and stay major.